What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays Today's podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We've got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how you doing? I realized as I was preparing that I basically just took the storylines from last season for the Big East and then just adjusted them for this season. I thought that was interesting. I looked at them because I, you know, basically make a copy of last year's and then change it. And mm-hmm. I went, well, those, those pretty much just line up. So we're going to use them again. Sure. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Day two, week two of college basketball preview season. If you missed the first episode, we did the ACC last week. 2023-24 season preview on that conference. If you were here last year, you know that we typically did a a preview with, with Josh and I, followed by a conversation with someone who covers a team in the conference or the conference as a whole. This year, those two things are separate, so there will be a chunk, a six-week chunk of previews with Josh and I, followed by a six-week chunk of conversations with uh, college basketball media people and those who cover uh, the conferences, uh, the high major conferences. So those still coming later, but for right now, uh, just conversations between Josh and I, same structure as last season, as Josh kind of alluded to breaking down the conferences in a, in a, efficient but also as widespread of a way as possible and the way we do that is through five different categories the team you are most excited for the team that you are most intrigued by storylines of that conference teams that could make the ncaa tournament and then a of course a winner anything else we need to touch on before we get started josh let's jump in Josh, 2023-24, Big East, which team are you most excited for? I mean, it's Marquette. To me, there's no other answer here. Wow, you, two and a half minutes in, and you're already implying insult on my <laughs> on my on the team I'm most excited for. That's I'm, I'm the bold strategy. See, I'm curious to see who this is. And part of this is just me loving Shaka Smart and what's going on at Marquette. Part of this is, obviously, you're returning a top 10 team in the country. Every important piece, except for Olivia Maxine's Prosper. You had a couple top 100-ish recruits who will see how much they actually get on the floor with everybody that's coming back. And the other part of this is, I want to see how good this team can be. I want to see what this team learned from last season. Can they elevate to another level? You know, because they're obviously going to be probably top five preseason. I just the idea of Marquette potentially winning a national championship is super, super exciting to me, and I just love everything that's going on with this. So I didn't have to think hard about it at all. See, this is fun because I think you and everybody else in the country is going to underestimate Omax Prosper not being there. I think everybody will. Um, he is. He is an unbelievably hard player to replace mm-hmm. from his versatility to the fact, I mean, it's, and it's not just, you know, his versatility is rebounding. He his uh, you know, versatility on both ends of the floor, but especially on the defensive end. Um, guys are like the guys coming back at Marquette will have to be, some of them will have to be better than they were last year for Marquette to be as good as they were last year, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Or and, somebody else has to step in and fill that role. You need something to, yes, I agree right. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think that's an incredibly hard person to, um, I, just, I think that's a, a super hard uh, person to try to, to, to replace. Not in, not, not to say that I don't think they can replace that person. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, is you know in the other part of it is it's not it's not Villanova on the back end of their third straight year dominating the Big East. Um, like is Tyler Kolick really that excellent? I th- I think he is, but did he 
was he just insanely good last year and will just be really good this year. Um, this is not a conference that has seen anybody control it other than Villanova really ever. And that'll be something that we talk about when we get to the winner of this conference. But I, I think they're going to, I think they'll, they'll probably be top five preseason. They'll probably be the, the, the biggest preseason champion. And they're going to be really good. I just don't think it's going to be a four. I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion. They're as good as they were last year. And these are all reasons. These are not reasons to not be excited about them. Uh, these are just reasons that, um, that maybe they weren't, um, that they weren't put into that category immediately for me. And to me, that's what some of the excitement is. Sure. Is this idea of, can they back it up? can they do what they did last season and can they elevate it? Because like mm-hmm. you said, we haven't seen anybody put together back-to-back seasons where you control this conference the way that Marquette did last season outside of Villanova. Yeah. So there are, so I'm with you that I'm not, you know, crowning them national champions or anything. I have some question marks, but to me, that's part of the excitement is now you have the attention because of what you did last season, catching everybody off guard. I mean, I didn't even have as a tournament team. And mm-hmm. I would guess you probably didn't either, although I don't remember that for sure. You know, yeah, I don't really, I don't remember. They probably would have been in my could make the NCAA tournament list, but only because it was a possibility rather yeah. than and a I, surefire lock. I didn't even have them there because I really? looked and what interesting. Yeah, obviously, we're talking about a very different context. So that's, I agree with you, and that to me is part of the excitement of this: is how do they follow it up? What can mm-hmm. they do? Can they take it to the next level? Yeah, that was one of the things I had in my the, my storylines for this conference is what does Marquette's encore look like? Um, it could be spectacular. I also am hesitant to see dominance as a foregone conclusion from a team that dominated out of absolutely nowhere the year before, mm-hmm. which may be a little unfair, but is is just the way that I operate in a conference where, you know, a different team won the national championship. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, the team I'm most excited for is Creighton and, Mm. and this, this begins and ends in a backcourt that has Steven Ashworth and Baylor Shireman. Like that's just, you know, how fun that's going to be. Um, it's crazy. And, And there was, there was a lot that went on with Creighton last year, but they, they finished, the season they went to the elite eight last year and they finished the season with a worse record than they did two years ago. They lost more games last year, which is, which is really because two years ago it was the man, look at what Greg McDermott did with this defensive team that had no offense and put together a really, really fun season. And of course they would have been better if, if Cockburner didn't miss whatever, six or seven games, whatever it was in that, in that downward slide. But, I actually think here's a, a couple reasons why I'm excited about about Creighton this year. One, I think for my money, it's the best it's the best coach coach talent combination in the conference this year. For my money, um, I think Baylor Shireman was good, not great last mm-hmm. year. Um, I think there's a very real step forward that he could take. And as much as I really like Ryan Nimhard as a college point guard, I think Steven Ashworth might give Creighton a chance to be like really special offensively with those two guys in the backcourt and still, and still not have to worry about the defensive end as much just because of how good Ryan Cockburner is defensively. Because you can you can get away with not being as good defensively in the backcourt, and there's some other things that you no longer have this year that are important. But you know, outside of you know, you get three of your top scorers back from last year, four of your top six, and one of those you replaced with with Stephen Ashworth. Um, I just think I don't know. I think. They're probably a little 
I think last year was about as poorly as that season could have gone from a seed perspective, from a record perspective, from a we were never in the Big East regular season conversation perspective. And I don't know. I think they I think there's a very real chance that they're super, super fun on the offensive end, that they have the best player on the defensive end, certainly in the Big East, if not in the entire country. And that they might be a little bit disappointed from last year. And then you add when you look at that that tournament run, it's not that impressive. Like yes, they went to the Elite Eight, but they, you know, they beat NC State in the first round, a incredibly flawed Baylor team in the second round and then Princeton in the Sweet 16, and then lost to San Diego State. So it's not like they beat a bunch of incredible teams on the way there and then lost to a team that they were clearly not better than in the Sweet in the Elite Eight. Um, I'm just excited about it, I, and and I'm I'm really pumped to watch. I think their backcourt could be it, it, inc- like absolutely electric. Like they could they could combine for 60 at one point this year. And that would be that would be awesome. So I'm very excited for them, and we'll get to this in in a storyline that I have. But um, it's they're so different from Marquette, and to to see those two teams both be capable of winning this conference, and then you you throw a couple other teams in there as well that if things go right could win this conference as well. Um, I think it could be really fun. But I'm I'm super pumped for the Blue Jays. Yeah, the thing that I'm really curious about with this team is what you alluded to. This feels like Creighton teams of years past Mm. with the electric offense. Sure. And then you throw in a defensive behemoth in Ryan Kalkbrenner. Right. Can they be good enough defensively because you are sacrificing some stuff on the perimeter to get all these offensive weapons? Now, if you're scoring 80 points a game, obviously you don't have to be spectacular defensively. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly an argument to be made that Ryan Kalkbrenner by himself makes you good enough defensively to compete for a national, compete for a regular season title in the Big East, compete for a national championship. Yeah, so I'm right there with you. I think they could be absolutely electric as well. I feel like they're going to be much more fun to watch. Whether that's better or not, to be determined, you know how I felt about last year's team. And I feel mm-hmm. like ultimately I was justified in that, despite mm-hmm. all of the games they lost. Mm-hmm. But also, like you said, if this starts well, and there aren't the injuries, and Stephen Ashworth comes in, and all of a sudden he and Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander have figured out how to work together from the get-go, mm-hmm. we're talking about a team that's going to be top 15, top 10 all season long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm very excited for this contrast. I think this is going to be a throwback Creighton team. What that means, we'll have to see. And, you know, how do they stack up defensively and all that? Just how good are they offensively? But aesthetically, this well, should be well, a much more well, entertaining Marcus, team. Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Blaylock mm-hmm. kind of kind of team. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. It's, I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be super fun. Super, super fun. So that's the team. That's the team I'm most excited for. Uh, you are most intrigued by? Also, not difficult for me. Villanova. Okay. For this is the a, other correct answer. I mean, I, 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 have, I have the correct answer, but this oh, is the other correct answer. The other correct answer. Okay. For a variety of reasons. One, obviously sure. what happened last season, you know, you've got injuries in there. New head coach, post-Jay Wright era begins. There was a lot going on. And obviously they weren't good. Mm-hmm. Then you throw in your quartet of transfers, TJ Bamba, Tyler Burton, Hakeem Hartlands, where you've got Eric Dixon, some role players back. I Justin remember Moore. last Yeah, right. How, you know, what does Justin Moore end up being able to give you? We talked about in the preview last season of Mark Armstrong is going to be the guy with the keys to this offense. And uh, that is not exactly how things turned out. Can he mm-hmm. step into that role in year two? There were just, you know, how good of a coach is Kyle Neptune? Because the talent is there. You can say there were just some weird circumstances year one. He's learning kind of like John Shire at Duke. Right, took them a while to figure it out. They weren't as good as they they were supposed to be, but also you came away feeling good about John Shire ultimately in the end. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe not quite that way with Kyle Neptune, but also Villanova got better as the season went along. There was clear growth and progress, and obviously Cam Whitmore being healthy had something to do with that. There's an awful lot of talent here, and there's an awful lot of guys who have played an awful lot of college basketball, Mm -hmm. where this could be one of those teams that you're just putting all these pieces together. If they can make it work, it could look like a well-oiled machine from the very beginning because of the Villanova foundation and all of this this experience that these guys are bringing in this could be a really quick turnaround where you within a couple weeks of the season starting kind of forget all about last season to go oh this looks like Villanova again yeah there's a ton here that I also wanted to hit on and this is this was this this also this was another thing that fell into my storylines category is and but the the headline for me was is is Kyle Neptune a good big east basketball coach because we don't know yet mm-hmm. and while a lot was going on last year right you had Justin Moore's injuries Cam Whitmore's injuries um Chris Archidiakono bless his heart is not a high major starting point guard he's just not and any basketball team that in any high major basketball team that he's the starting point guard on that was the biggest issue with Mark Armstrong not being the guy at the point guard position last year was that it had to be Chris Archidiakono and he's just not that good he's just not he's not his brother and he's not anywhere close to what his brother was at Villanova and if that's the case this year there's still a very real ceiling on this Villanova team that is the single most important like Tyler Burton TJ Bamba Lance, where we can we can be as spectacular as we want to be, but it's it's going to be dicey if Chris Archidiakno is your starting point guard. It just is, and so that's 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 option. That's thing number one I'm looking at. And it, even with all of that said, I still felt like Kyle Neptune was a little disappointing last year, and that's okay. It's year one. There was a lot of things going on, as you alluded to. But it's it's not like I'm confident in his long term staying power at Villanova after year one, and those mm-hmm. and that can be like that can be a thing even if your record doesn't look super sexy. Mm-hmm. That can still be a thing, and and I'm not I'm not sold on that after one year, which is fine. I don't need to be sold on that after one year. And Villanova doesn't need to be sold on that after one year. The only other thing I'm I'm super curious about is is you know like this this isn't the way that great Villanova teams are built, and maybe it just will never be the way that another great college basketball team is built ever again because of the way the transfer portal works and the the age of NIL, but. Like the best basketball teams that Villanova has ever had, it's you know it, it's some really high level freshmen like Amari Spellman, but then it's Eric Pascal and Jalen Brunson and Mike Albridges and Dante DiVincenzo, all guys who have been in the program for multiple years, and maybe a transfer thrown in as a secondary wing or something like that, a Caleb Daniels kind right. of player, and yeah. and like probably the most important player on this team this year will not have played in a Villanova uniform last year. Like maybe, possibly, maybe it's like it's it's either Justin Moore or somebody else. Because if Eric Dixon is the best player on this team, we've got an issue. Because he was probably the best player on the team last year mm-hmm. on a team that wasn't very good. So super intriguing basketball team that for all of those reasons, that's it's it's a really interesting era of Villanova basketball because it's just not the foregone conclusion at this point that it was for 20 years under Jay Wright. And that's just that, that opens a lot of questions that I feel like we, we, we haven't asked about Villanova in a long time. And at the same time, the talent is there. Absolutely. Going to the, the, your Kyle Neptune point. It's not like you get three years to go build the team you want. And then you start evaluating. Right. Because this team a la Marquette. <laughs> right. And meaning how fast Shaka Smart went and turned around Marquette. Yeah, right. And, and even that team, I mean, he would have gotten time because he built that and yeah, chose but you're not, not to. 
but the four year recruiting cycle, that's how much time you get is definitely not a thing anymore. Right, right. And you could also flip that and say, well, that's on Shaka Smart. If he's not getting the individual improvement he needs, you got to fix that through the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Right. You're making an intentional choice to not use the transfer portal. Right. So, but the point being, and, and I'm sure we'll get to Ed Cooley later on, we made this point when he moved to Georgetown. It's just not that hard to turn your roster over from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. So the talent is there. So we're going to see if, again, assuming there aren't any weird external circumstances here, if Kyle Neptune can coach and if this team lives up to its potential. Because right. if it does, now you feel much better about him as the coach of Villanova moving forward. But if it's another bad season, it's not like you can just blame the talent mm-hmm. and the players. Because, like you said, we should not be talking about Eric Dixon as the foundational piece of this team and the only guy that's kind of consistently there giving you 15 points a game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm most intrigued by the, the Huskies of Connecticut Mm. of connect connect kit. Um, I, I'm, I've never been so simultaneously convinced of the talent and curious of about the same roster you had Adama Sonogo and, and Jordan Hawkins who you've both lost combining for 33 10 and 3 and the next closest guy is Tristan Newton and the only other guy in double figures last year at 10 points and it was like 10 four and a half and four and a half so so you start there but there the, and, and then I have so many questions Questions like, is Donovan Klingon just as effective in a main big man role as yep. he is playing second string guys for eight minutes because Adamas Nogo is just so good? And the, the two of them didn't play on the floor together, right? Um, is he the same? Does he have the same effect, uh, affection? That's not the same effect. Does he have the same effect as he did last season? He should be spectacular. How much, because you being spectacular for 11 minutes a game and you being spectacular for 26 minutes a game are two very different things, um, especially for a guy who's 7'2". Is he going to be healthy the entire season? You know, talking about Creighton, that's a team who was very reliant on a 7-footer when it came to the things that they did. And it's just not that difficult for a 7-footer to step on somebody's foot um, to have you know have some sort of issue there you have a backcourt that right Tristan Newton is there you bring in Cam Spencer from Rutgers which is also super intriguing but then you have two more shooting guards in your recruiting class in Solomon Ball and Stefan Castle how do those pieces fit together of course you know Tristan Newton is kind of the guy with the keys but this other conglomerate of guards around him how does that how does that kind of work out how good are your incoming freshmen right i mean like they're the fourth best recruiting class in the country they still only have one of the top 40 recruits in the class and as you and i both know not all freshmen are created equal and not even like the eighth best and the 17th best are created equal much less the ninth and the 41st I just, I have so many questions and it could go all the way from, yeah, you know what? UConn's freshmen weren't that great. And while a Newton, Klingon, Jackson, Cam Spencer cord basketball team is a good college basketball team, it's probably not a great one. And if your freshmen aren't super productive, then you've got some holes that I don't think you have the tools to fill. Um, But if you're... But if your freshmen are awesome, we could be talking about another top five team. If Klingon's awesome, you can be talking about a guy that could be the biggest player. There's just, I think the variance for a team that just won the national championship is, is super intriguing. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by the talent I see on this roster and my curiosity that comes from it at the same time. Yeah, and I, I I pulled up the numbers last season because I I do have a a mental hurdle just kind of carrying last season over. So Sonogo averaged seventeen point two, Hawkins averaged sixteen point two. Obviously, yeah. they're both gone. 
Then you've got your trio of Caravan, Klingon, and Newton. Not in that order. I missed Newton. Newton was, like you said, 10. Caravan was 9. And now you're talking about Donovan Klingon at 7. Mm-hmm. The next three guys are gone too. So, yes, you have pieces, important pieces. And obviously, you're assuming that Donovan Klingon is not a 7 points, 5.5 rebound guy. So I'm right there with you that obviously the way that this is getting replaced is Cam Spencer plus your recruiting class that has right three guys you can throw Jalen Stewart in there too that are going to probably be big contributors because this team needs to make up all of these minutes. And mm-hmm. it's weird because you and I, I think, are in agreement that you can't just look at Andre Jackson's numbers and say, oh, that's easy to replace. So I- I'm... I'm right there with you, and feel free if you want to kind of add on to this. But there are pieces back, and obviously you feel good about having a lead guard in Tristan Newton. You feel great about what Donovan Klingon can be. There are also a lot of questions here that I I just have a hard time putting this team preseason top 10 and saying it's all going to come together. Could it? Sure. And they could be spectacular again. There's also a lot of things in this conference that if it doesn't go well and you don't find really two guys, now you're assuming Klingon is one of them, but two guys to anchor this team like Jordan Hawkins and Adama Sinogo did last season, and maybe that's Tristan Noon and Donovan Klingon, and then everybody kind of fills in from there. It It is very, very interesting. And also just UConn's, <laughs> UConn's history after winning national championships, not great. Now, that is not the Danny Hurley era obviously Mm -hmm. but right this is just that weird team that they find ways to win national championships and then usually they don't perform particularly well after that can they just find some consistency and even if they aren't a top 10 team be a top 25 team and make the sweet sweet 16 or something like that Mm -hmm. where you just feel that there's some stability because that's what generally danny hurley has been building but now it's a completely different conversation because obviously you're the defending national champions yep Exactly. Storylines. <laughs> We're going to start with the same one from last season. That's the coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, we did this last year and went, look at the names. Well, Brooke Bettino, <laughs> welcome back. Mm-hmm. Ed Cooley, welcome to Georgetown. And Kim English, welcome to Providence. You know, obviously this Rick Bettino thing, however you feel about him, it is fascinating. It is worthy of attention it's going to be something to be aware of this season he just if anybody can turn around st john's is probably him also mm-hmm. st john's obviously has not exactly been in turnaround mode here as coach after coach has tried and failed to get that program back to national prominence and in, in the upper tier of the big east and you know he basically Removed most of his team. Just what is this going to be like with Rick Pitino back in the Big East? And then Ed Cooley. How does this go at Georgetown? I mean, we'll talk about this roster later. I think Will we talk of... about this roster later? <laughs> I have about two things to say about this roster later. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, what does this look like? Is it just going to be weird? Him patrol the sidelines in the Big East, not at Providence. And then I'm really interested in Kim English, too. I think you, you and I both feel like Providence did about as good as they could have replacing Ed Cooley mm-hmm. with Kim English. That if this works, he's there until one of the best programs in the country comes calling. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give you some of the the energy and enthusiasm and just kind of hitting the reset button that is difficult to generate coming off of somebody like Ed Cooley, I feel like, because Ed Cooley did such a good job and was so closely associated with Providence. Mm -hmm. But if you've got to turn the page, Kim English is the kind of guy who says, I'll turn that page. I got no problem making this my own and setting my own standards and building my own culture and making it easier to move on from Ed Cooley. Because Kim English is just there to do his thing. He's incredibly confident in what he's doing. And obviously he's had success, which is why at his age, he's getting this kind of opportunity. So 
maybe not the names as the last season we were talking about, you know, Sean Miller, Thad Mata, etc. But I am very, very interested in these coaches and the, the dynamics at play with the connections to the Big East and the addition of Kim English. Yeah, I... I I generally don't think that hiring an old coach to revive a program is a good idea. I generally am against that. That's why I thought that Mata at Butler was a weird hire. That's why I thought Tubby Smith at Memphis once upon a time was a weird hire. Like the names sound great, but do those guys actually want to put in the hours and the effort in your, you know, 25, 30 of their coaching careers to pull that program out of the out of the mud maybe um maybe that maybe Ed Cooley wants to do that um we'll see but does he actually pump any life into that program is my question going into this season um does it actually matter that Ed Cooley is the head coach because it's not like Ed Cooley is a hall of fame type coach but as but it's not like Ed Cooley was pumping out world beaters at Providence year after year after year, right? It's you know it's you had your Chris Dunn years, you had the last couple years at in the Big East, but it's it's different than a guy who it's just it, it's the it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to be able, at least in my opinion, that he's going to be able to attract the tippity top talent to Georgetown. And, and I generally just think that the hole that that program has dug itself is insurmountable for anybody quickly. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, but I'm not totally sure that Ed Cooley actually moves the needle far enough into something that would be deemed success for Georgetown. Patino, uh, like St. John's hasn't had an elite basketball coach since the guy that now the building they played in is named after. Like that's when you like the last guy to spend more than six seasons as the head coach of St. John's was the guy that they now play in the building named after him, Luke Arnseca. That's a fun fact. They haven't lost less than 10 games since the 1999, 2000 season, which kind of goes in, in tandem with that. And but regardless of how you feel about Rick Pitino, he is an elite basketball coach. And and that's that's in that's that's interesting. Um until St. John's makes the tournament, they will never sniff my could make the NCAA tournament list. <laughs> they didn't this year. Um maybe Pitino changes that, but the 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 coaching talent on the sidelines at St. John's has been so mid for so long that having a guy that when he's on the side, like he turned, he, he elevated that Iona program. He was, he's one of the best coaches from a win percentage perspective, like ever. And, and, and that matters. We'll see how much um, I'll sit and wait and see it matter before I predict it to matter. But, um, but yeah, Hall of Fame coaches being in new spots and one of them being in a new spot in the same conference as his old spot is is all very intriguing. And you also alluded to it a little bit, but like the, the Big East coach roster is now now features McDermott, Cooley, Smart, Patino, Miller, Hurley, Mata, Kim English. Like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now, a lot of those guys, you know, that Mata coaches a just absolutely atrocious Butler basketball team right now. So like make of that what you will, but the, the roster is pretty impressive. Sure is. Of coaches. Um, the other things I had in the storyline category is stuff that we've already talked about Encore for Marquette is Kyle Neptune, a good big East basketball coach. I've got, I've got one other thing, but, um, but what else do you have in storylines? So my second one is, who makes up the second tier? <laughs> this is what I had a really hard time with. Obviously, there are some teams you feel really good about. Creighton, Marquette, hypothetically Villanova, although we said mm-hmm. that last season and it didn't come to fruition, and UConn. 
I, I put them in a category by themselves. They should be very good basketball teams. And then after that, you just start kind of looking here. And the next team for me would be Providence. You've got Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter. That's a really good place to start. You know, Kim English brings in some guys from George Mason, most notably Josh Oduro. Mm-hmm. Garway Duwall is a top 50 prospect. There's some talent on that Providence team. Somebody's got to win basketball games. They're in a now, of course, this is, you know, Kim English's debut season. It's not like I'm throwing them in with the other four teams, but you got to feel pretty good there. And then you just kind of start looking and Xavier lost an awful lot. Zach Fremantle is your one of five leading, the only one of your five leading scorers who's back. Mm-hmm. St. John's is basically an entirely new roster. DePaul. And the is, rest of them suck. Right. DePaul and DePaul loses top two scorers. Okay. Georgetown's completely new roster. And you're talking Jaden Epps, Ishmael Masood, and Dontrez Styles. You know, that doesn't particularly inspire you. That's really all I had to say about Georgetown. Mm. Seton Hall, okay. Alamir Dawes, Kadari Richmond back. They were not a good offensive team, though. Did they, you know, do they scare you? Mm. Butler's got a completely new team. Needed a talent upgrade. Not convinced they got it. I'm excited to see what Pierre Brooks can do. I know you're a big DJ Davis guy, Posh Alexander, but it's, again, it's not like that's really catching the eye. And... You know, there's the rest of your, the rest of your conference. So to me, that's it. You would think that at least five teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament conversation. Probably at least six, whether six make it or not, it's a different story. But just who, who makes up the middle of this conference? Because there are a lot of question marks once you get past those first four or maybe five teams, if you want to include Providence. I don't want to include Providence, sir. Yeah, I'm okay. not totally sure I want to include Villanova until they. Okay. And I'm not, like, maybe, like, like I might, I'm not totally sure I want UConn in that top that top conversation either. I think there's um, a Tier 1A and a Tier 1B. I would agree with that, uh, yeah. I also don't think, like, there could be a world where it's a top tier and a bottom tier. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that the, or, or, like, the middle tier is actually, like, teams three and four. Right. And that there's, where, yeah. But yeah, the the bottom of this conference is the bottom has fallen out, absolutely yeah. fallen out. It's, yeah, where, can you get the depth from somewhere, and if so, where? Yeah, yeah. Butler's a train wreck. I, every time I look on social media, I see that all of the players that left Butler look like the best player on the floor at their new schools. It's great. Jaden Taylor, best player on the floor at NC State. Chuck Harris, best player on the floor at SMU. Love it. Yeah, and that's the other part. I mean. If there was one thing to feel good about with that Butler team, it was the backcourt, and the backcourt's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Butler fans and their delusional—you know—we can get somebody. Like there was, we were never going to get a player better than Chuck Chuck Harris on that basketball team this year, and everyone was convinced that Chuck Harris is, you know, the sixth man on a good college basketball team. Whatever. Um, yeah, I I have very little confidence in the teams outside the top four of this of, of the Big East this year. Very little. They'll probably get five in just because it's like who else is gonna get to the ter- make to the right. tournament. Like, Somebody's gotta he, win these games. Like sixty like sixty eight teams have to play in the tournament and there are you know every they, there are a, a certain number of wins that must be had by Big East teams this year for the for the conference schedule to be complete. So there will probably be five, but the uh, the list is pretty slim pickings after after the the four teams that you really feel confident will make the tournament. Kind of in that same vein. This is the last thing I have. Um I'm I'm really intrigued by the this is this is mostly I feel like a like a two horse kind of race, at least for me heading into the season between Creighton and Marquette. Um I think UConn and Nova could be in the conversation. I also just I like it, and I also think that there's a world in which UConn is the best team in this conference. I think there's a world in which Villanova is the best team in this conference, and I'm not sure I can think of a time where I thought that there was a there was a real possibility that four different teams could be the best team in this conference. Mm-hmm. I think there are two that are clearly 
that that should be the center of the conversation for the best team in the conference heading into the year. But there are four teams that you could tell me were going to be the best team in this conference. And for whatever reason, the last 10 years of this version of the Big East, and most of the time that reason is Villanova. But I like very like it's either two teams or it's Villanova. That's usually the conversation we seem to be having. And as Villanova has turned over turned over a new leaf in terms of era of their program. I think that brings more more teams into conversation. And then you add the fact that UConn has done what you expected them to do in the Big East, which is ascend to the top of it, uh, that the the conversation is a lot more interesting uh, than, than it used to be. The other part of this is the balance between the conference regular season title and national championship aspirations. Mm. For that exact reason of there are four teams you can talk yourself into, I completely agree, that going into March, you feel the best about in terms of going to win those six games and win a national championship. Whether any of them are actually among the favorites, we'll wait and see. But I'm I'm right there with you that maybe Villanova takes a little while to get going with all the new pieces, but by the end, you feel really good about it. And Marquette just never really clicks into another gear. And Creighton has a ceiling because of defensive liabilities or something. Mm-hmm. But also, again, UConn was not part of this title race last season. Did that change how we felt about UConn? No, not really. Right? Because you looked and you went, well, <laughs> their ceiling is still as high as anybody in the country if it, if it all comes together. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And they steamrolled everybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's part February of this... one, they were out of it, though. Right, exactly. That's interesting, yeah. We went from they're the best team in the country to I don't really know what's happening. What in the world is going on? Why can't they beat a Big East team to, oh, well, maybe they really were the best team in the country, (laughs) you know? So how does that, it could very well end up being something similar this season with the the new players at Villanova, the fact that UConn's going to be reliant on some freshmen and some guys stepping into much bigger roles where some, you know, Creighton has at least a foundation of players that have been there. Kalkbrenner, Shireman, Trey Alexander, even if there are some pieces that are gone. And obviously Marquette, it's basically the same group of players minus one. Yeah. So how does that all kind of play out where, because you and I are both big on this, that it takes a different set of skills to win a co- regular season conference title than it does to win a national championship. And there might not be a better illustration of that than the Big East last season and this season. I think you're right. I think you're right. What else do you have in storylines? I'm out. My final one, and I talked about this a little bit, so I'll go quickly, is just the rebuilt rosters. It seems like there are so many, and I know this is just partially college basketball now, but even within that context, you know, Xavier, you've got top 100 recruits coming in. I said Zach Fremantle is the only one of your top five scorers back. Three productive mid-major transfers coming in. It's a, It's going to look very different. St. Mm-hmm. John's, Rick Pitino basically kicked everybody but Joel Soriano out. Jordan Dingle, Zuby Ejafor. I really like Zuby Ejafor and am excited to see what he can do in a new environment. Simeon Welcher, top 50 recruit. It's basically a completely new St. John's team. DePaul, basically a completely new team. Chico Carter Jr. was a starter for South Carolina last season. That's something, you know. Georgetown, completely new team. Seton Hall, not so much. Butler, completely new team. UConn, lots of new pieces. Creighton, at least one important new piece in Stephen Ashwood. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see, you know, because part of what we talked about last season was which of the transfers really elevate their programs. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's some of that, but then there's also just a lot of, because of the coaching changes, because of the turnover, there's just a lot of hodgepodge here of <laughs> completely new collections of players. Does one of them click? And also Villanova has a very, very different roster. You know, does one of them click in a way that we don't expect it to? Going back to the kind of mid-conference mush that mm-hmm. we were talking about, does one of these teams catch us by surprise? Yeah. I like it. I think... Did anybody do it last year? Did anybody catch us by surprise with a completely new team? Yeah, see, with that last part, I would probably say 
no. Right, because of course Vill- Marquette did, but it wasn't it wasn't in that same. I have no right. idea what this team is going to put on the floor because I've never seen this team before. And and I don't know, I'd have to think about it longer about like what teams in the country would fit into that category. The point being that Oh, I have one. Hit me. I would say Pittsburgh. Sure. Sure. I'm into that. Um not, that that wasn't to say there weren't any. That's just to or that I don't believe that a team that's completely new can surprise people. Because I suppose that's the only thing that unless you're like Texas or something where you just have like you have all of the top transfers. So, right. of course, you're going to be good. Um, I mean, maybe Xavier to a certain extent. Now, ju- you know, just how good they were with with some new pieces coming in. It was a combination of new pieces and returners. It probably would have been it, you could probably just like narrow that down to Sully Boom by himself. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he was he was so good. Um, but. J- all that to say that generally like it it is it is really hard to have no continuity and come in and surprise people especially when the top of this conference at least the tippity top of it talking marquette and creighton and uconn still has has like a, a substantial amount of important pieces coming back but when marquette and creighton kind of retooling and already established core or in Marquette's case just having the same core pretty much um I suppose somebody is going to have to finish sixth and I think maybe whoever finishes sixth we're going to be kind of surprised that they finished sixth it kind of feels like that but um if someone comes in with a completely new team and is really threatening to finish like fourth in this conference I uh, I think I'll be a little I think I'll be genuinely surprised by that yeah how many teams can make the tournament? <laughs> this was such a difficult one to answer for me. I went with eight. Okay. Again, because I think three of them could be the sixth best team in the conference. <laughs> sure. I also Not don't think I that think the sixth best team be is. I just. I also don't think the sixth best team in this conference is going to make the tournament. If you finish sixth in this conference, you're not going to go to the tournament. I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I've got six. Okay. Interesting. Marquette, Creighton, Yukon, Villanova, Xavier, Providence. That's my six. Okay. I have all six of those. Okay. And then I also threw in Seton Hall and St. John's. Okay. That, those, th- those would have been my guesses. Seton Hall, like I said earlier, Alamir Dawes, Kadari Richmond, good place to start. You've got a very good defensive foundation. Shaheen Holloway, year two. They got to be much better offensively, but maybe that happens in a conference that a lot of teams you're not feeling very good about. So mm-hmm. I threw them in there, and then just Rick Patino, some real talent, you know, a lot of transfers, winnable games. Maybe it comes together immediately. I would not be surprised if St. John's finishes fifth or sixth and makes the big and is at least on the bubble, if not in the NCAA tournament. I, okay. I know your stance is that you will not pick them until they actually do it. That's correct. I don't feel great about it. I'm just opening up the possibility that Rick Pitino finds a way with... Because you can't look at the roster and say the roster is just simply not good enough. Because I don't think that's true. Now, you could have said that about other rosters at, that didn't make the NCAA tournament as well. That's kind of been the story of St. John's as well. They look like the fourth best team in the Big East on paper and they finished seventh. You know? mm. And then... Xavier, I'm I'm curious about how this ends up working. I really like Jerome Hunter. He and Desmond Cloud are going to have to be big-time contributors if this team is going to have success. On paper, not in love with it, but I didn't want to rule him out just because it's Sean Miller. It is Zach Fremantle. You've got some transfers coming in. You've got some pretty good, you know, good recruiting class. I could see a world in which they finish fifth or sixth. I don't want to especially with Sean Miller kind of being more of an underdog. That aspect is interesting to me, and I'm not going to count Sean Miller out. Whether this Xavier program can win a Big East regular season title with some of the struggles they seem to have when their favorites are in position to do that, different story. 
that's not mm-hmm. what we're talking about this season. At least I don't think. So I threw him in the conversation. This has been as close as I've come to picking the five teams that I think will make the tournament. <laughs> yeah. Not that could. Like, I think five yeah. teams will make the tournament, and I think it's pretty obvious which five teams would be the top five contenders I for that, for that com- spot. Completely agree. But I think five teams are going to make the tournament from this conference, and I think there are six teams that could finish in those top five spots. I feel like Xavier has earned the right to just be included in that conversation. I agree. Yeah. And Sean Miller's his track record at Xavier has, has earned that more specifically rather than Xavier, the program Xavier plus Sean Miller. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, your winner. Marquette. Hmm. Again, maybe the ceiling is not the highest. Maybe they're not the ones that are going to go compete for national championship though. They have, I firmly believe they have a chance to me. They, A, know how to do this, mm-hmm. B, have the continuity, and C, are the only team without real question marks for me. Now, you can argue Olivier Maxine's Prosper is a question mark, but we talked about Villanova and UConn. I'm right there with you that they could win this conference, but I'm not considering them one of the two favorites. So inherently, they have question marks. So you're looking at Creighton as the other team. It seems to fit on paper. This is also a team that was inconsistent last season that did not win the games they needed to to be part of the title race. Maybe it doesn't work with Steven Ashworth for whatever reason. Maybe they're not good enough defensively. There are just enough things that have to go right for Creighton to win a regular season conference title that I went with Marquette. I I just believe in this group of players. The fact that last season ended the way it did gives me even more confidence that they are not satisfied. And I think Shaka has done a really good job of kind of keeping that chip on their shoulders mm. and making sure that it's not just, we got here, look at what we did, but look how much farther we can go. Sure. So all of that, I went Marquette barely. Do you know which year Creighton won the uh, Creighton won the Big East? The Zigarowski ballot year. The, the Zigarowski Alexander ballot year. Yeah. Um, I picked Creighton. I think it's very close. I picked Creighton because teams not named Villanova don't repeat as regular <laughs> season titles, regular season champions, like ever. It's true. Um. And maybe that's a that maybe that's a dumb reason too. I think it's I think it's hard. And and, and as good and as as well equipped as Shaka Smart is to keep the chip on your shoulder, it's just harder to keep your chip on your the chip on your shoulder when you went twenty seven and nine last year. You know I'm a big believer in that. You are a massive believer in that. And of course it's different than a team trying to repeat as a national champion and winning the big East. Like those are two different things. Um, I'm not saying that they aren't, but I like, I might even go all the way to betting on them sharing. Like they just, they, they both, they both lose a game or two that they're not supposed to. They split the two games between each other and they both go 15 and five. Um, but I'll go with Creighton. I think they're going to be super duper fun if they, the, and they, I think they're the team in the conference that if they stumble into momentum, it's going to be really hard to stop their momentum. Like if it's a year where everyone's trying to grind out games and I guess I'll put it this way. Marquette is going to be more well-equipped, I think, to win the conference in a year. If if it's kind of a, you know, like a pitcher's duel. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to keep up with Creighton and they're shooting the lights out in Big East play, that it's going to be hard for, for anyone to keep up with them. Um, but I think it's going to be very close. If one of them wins it outright, it's going to be by as close of a margin as it can be. I believe. 
And the other part of it is, even if it's if Creighton or Marquette don't live up to that for some reason, it's entirely possible that UConn or Villanova do. Mm-hmm. Right, because of those four teams up at the top, I I just find it hard to believe that somebody is going to run away with this. I would agree. I don't think that's going to happen. But if a team is, I, I think that Creighton is the team best equipped yes. to like win this thing going away. Completely agree. Marquette is going to win somewhere between 13 and 16. Sure. James? Yeah. I'd probably set the over under 15 and a half. Yeah. Maybe 14 and a half, but probably 15 and a half. Creighton after last could, year. It could be more like 12 and it could be 18. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. You got anything else on the biggies? Not too much. I mean, we touched on everybody already. I just want to talk about Georgetown, I guess, for a second. It it would have been really interesting had Hunter Dickinson chosen to go home. Mm. Because then you're talking about a nice foundation of new players that actually might be NCAA tournament caliber. Without him, though, I just don't see see enough there. And I'm I'm bringing this up just because one of the conversations we had about Ed Cooley when he took this job was, it's not like you need four years to turn this thing around. If sure. you get enough people excited, you can build an NCAA tournament team next season because, right, basically just rebuilding the roster from scratch. And that was one of the big off-season storylines for me in this conference is just how much better can Georgetown get from a talent perspective. Mm-hmm. And yes, they got some nice transfers. Jaden Epps. I really like Ish Masood. He clearly wanted to be a bigger part, and he's going to get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Whether you want Ish Masood as one of your three most important players when you're trying to make the NCAA tournament, different question. But to me, they needed the home run that really kind of raises the bar and goes, oh, that's. That's your guy that's going to be able to lead you to the NCAA tournament, and I don't see that player on their roster. I mean, not that Hunter Dickinson was able to do it last year in Michigan either. Yes, that is a it's fair okay. point. That's my that's my that's my shh hot take. Is that Hunter? Is that teams yeah. that Hunter Dickinson gets more important on get worse? But that's okay. Shh. We don't have to. We can, we can save that for the Big Twelve. I haven't. I have no idea what's going on in the Big Twelve yet, so I I can't comment on what that actually means. But that's my that's my shh. that's my. Anyways, anything else? Did you see what James Harden said? Oh, his like Daryl Moore's a liar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. James Harden is going to have a career that, like, people remember in YouTube highlights only. So, whatever he can be, he can be upset. Like, like I don't understand. Like, he could have just opted out. Like, uh, th- th- this is this is what I don't understand. Like, you created this possibility by opting in. Somebody was going to pay you whatever you wanted. It was gonna happen. But now you've created this situation where you have to be traded and the market just doesn't exist. And they People, took him off the trade block. Like, I, that's I, what I... <laughs> it just perfectly sums it up, right? The past And you knew Maury was going to do that. Maury doesn't trade stars for not stars. He doesn't do it. Right. The, the 72 hours of James Harden, is they're no longer, you know, kind of open to the idea of trading him to James Harden calling Daryl Morey a liar. Oh boy. It's going to be a fun and, couple months. And and that's fun because it, it's, it suggests that James Harden has a say in the matter that, that he would know if Daryl Morey, like actually Daryl Morey really does want to trade me, but he's going to tell everybody that he doesn't. So nobody calls. Yeah. I don't want to think any more about this. Yeah. <laughs> We shall that, see. J- James Harden might be at the top of my like relative to how other people feel about James Harden. Like I, not in a million years is he on my basketball team. Not in a million. Not in a million. I get to take Ish Smith or James Harden. Ish, welcome to the team. 
That was a massive ricochet issue. But I, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. He's the only player in NBA history to request a trade three times. I feel like that I feel like that record's gonna get broken in the pretty near future though. Maybe. But like he might do it a fourth time. Who I mean, know, like where, 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 where he goes. Isn't Kyrie? Isn't Kyrie on three? Or is he on two? I think he's on two. Two, okay. So Cel- yeah, okay. Yeah. Celtics and then Nets. Nets. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you Kyrie ties that worry. record he's, by the time he's he on his way. He's on his way. All right. We'll be back next week, part three of season previews, college basketball, 2023, 24. We're what, two and a half months away? Right? Early yeah. early November, two and a half months away. We're getting there. We're getting there. All righty. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you.